I'm, uh, I'm kind of going to miss that guy when we're done with this series. What is this today? Today's the last day of the series. We're, we're finishing up this series called God Never Said That. And over the past month or so, we've been working through some common misbeliefs among people both inside and outside of the church. And so we began by focusing on the misbelief that above all else, God wants us to be happy. We followed that up by dissecting the very common misbelief that, that God will never give you more than you can handle. And then last week we looked at the dangerous misbelief that it doesn't matter what you do as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. Now this week, we're going to talk about the misbelief we just heard about there. And it's probably always been around, but it seems to have gained a lot of traction, a lot of steam in the past 10 to 15 years. You've probably heard this in in some form or another. It's possible that maybe you've even said it, but this misbelief is the idea that for the most part, Looking at the overall picture of what you believe, it doesn't really matter as long as you're sincere about whatever that is. That it doesn't matter what you believe about God as long as you're sincere about it. That the sincerity you have about what you believe actually is significantly more important than the content and the particulars of what you believe. Now, when I phrase it that way, it probably sounds a little bit ridiculous, but you probably also know someone who has maybe some different beliefs than you, maybe some grab bag beliefs, maybe what, what, what I've heard called grocery store theology where they go down the aisles and they pick out what sounds good. And I'll be the first to admit that, that this particular misbelief, there, there is a little bit of an appeal to it. Uh, it doesn't sound that bad. The idea that our God is so big and so loving that it doesn't really matter what you actually believe as long as you're sincere, then the chances are you'll be okay and you'll end up in heaven. And that's the goal, right? So... It just feels good. In fact, there are people that would call this feel-good theology. You don't sweat the small stuff. You don't sweat the details. Me and God, we're okay. This goes right hand in hand with what we talked about, um, I guess, last week, you know, the whole idea, or two weeks ago, I'm, I'm, I'm not a bad person. I'm a good person. So I should be fine. That if you're good enough or not too bad, obviously a loving God would see fit to put you in heaven someday. You know, there's nothing too egregious on your record. The black marks are few and far between, so you get a pass, regardless of the details of how you lived or honestly what you've really believed. There are, there are people that believe that. And the truth is, as a pastor, I see this a lot around funerals. From time to time, we're involved in a funeral for someone who wasn't a follower of Jesus. And those are tough. Those are tough. Because more times than not, what family will tell us is, well, he wasn't much of a religious person, but we know he's in a better place now. We desperately want to believe that our loved ones are in heaven, even if we acknowledge that they they never had a relationship with Jesus Christ, even if they acknowledge that it's not a sure thing. But in that moment, if if we're the ones that say, oh, they really weren't a religious person, or they really didn't go to church, or they weren't really a Jesus follower, but they're in a better place, I, I think, in effect, what we're saying is, I hope it doesn't matter what you believe. People will say there are many roads that lead to God or there are many roads that lead to heaven. People really believe that. And what's kind of amazing in our culture today is that basic spirituality, the idea of being spiritual, is really not controversial at all. Um, You know, I said the word basic there on purpose because if you watch any, any sporting event, athletes give the glory to God. Watch someone at the Grammys or the Oscars accept an award, you'll see quite a few people get up there and thank God. 
the basic acknowledgement of something spiritual usually doesn't stir up debate. It's fairly accepted still. I mean, think about this. You can talk about spirituality and nobody freaks out. But if you bring in the name of Jesus, that's usually where things get a little bit dicey for some people. And here's the truth we need to understand. Almost no one debates the existence of Jesus Christ, the person. Um, Even Jesus' detractors won't try to convince you that he never lived. There's really too much evidence for that. Most will acknowledge that Jesus was very real. And on top of that, most people admit that he was a good teacher. They'll even admire or even, even say, you know, some of his teaching influences the way that I live. They like it. You know, there are a lot of non-Jesus followers who still hold to his teachings on helping the poor and loving others and being generous. And they say, well, that's really positive teaching. It is hard to discount how amazing Jesus' teaching was. Even if you hate Christianity, it's nearly impossible to hate the teaching of Jesus. And I say all that, and you might say, but people do end up getting riled up about Jesus, so why is that? And if you ask that question, you would have a valid question there. And what it seems to come down to is the exclusive claim of Jesus. That exclusive claim is what seems to fire people up. And that exclusive claim shows up big time in John 14, 6. Jesus says this to Thomas, one of his disciples. This is Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And in that moment, that's that exclusive thing we were talking about. Right there, Jesus sets himself apart and sets what would eventually become to known as, be known as Christianity apart from all other world religions because they're fine with the idea of God and they're fine with a place called heaven. They're even cool with a lot of Jesus' teaching. But then he throws down the gauntlet here and he says, there is only one road to God and it leads through And in that statement, he sets Christianity apart. Now, there are a lot of religions out there. There are a lot of them. I I could not possibly cover them. I want to briefly throw a couple of your way today to put this whole idea into context. But in order to do that, I think we have to be willing to admit that there are probably some positive things that can be found in other religions, things that that are okay or that seem like a good idea, but they just fall short. Because if if people outside of Christianity can look at Jesus' teaching and say, well, hey, this is actually pretty good, the truth is we can do some of those same things and admit it. But at the same time, we have to remember that despite some similarities, despite some things that might even be positive, they're not the same as Christianity. Buddhism, for example, actually has no God. Um, It has no final type of existence. Buddhists typically believe in countless rebirths. We are reborn, reborn, reborn again, which actually sounds like you get a fresh start pretty good, and we like the idea of fresh starts, but but there's no final death. There's no conclusion. Hinduism has an impersonal God that is approached through statues or idols. Again, very different. And, And neither statues nor idols offer the forgiveness of sins, nor do they offer supernatural assistance, only karma. In other words, if you do bad things, bad things happen to you. If you do good things, good things happen to you. And that's the basic of their belief system. Now that seems pretty fair, and on some level makes some sense. But it's limited. Now if you take Islam, Muslims worship Allah, a personal God. There are no secondary gods that... And there is a total ban on idols, which also actually sets it apart from from a lot of other religions. And your standing with this God, with Allah, is determined by your religious devotion and your works. 
which actually sits counter to Christianity. But there's a certain level of that that's like, well, that's actually not bad. I mean, if I can earn my way to, to something like that, that makes sense. Or you could take New Age beliefs. Now, there's a million different versions of this, but New Age beliefs are becoming more and more popular. They have no, no personal God, and they're most likely going to believe in something like a higher consciousness and wanting to be one with the cosmos or one with the universe. But if you take Christianity, we have a personal God exposed to us through the love of God's Son, Jesus, and He and He alone offers the forgiveness of sins and is not, that is not based on our own religious efforts, but based on God's goodness. And so while we have to acknowledge there may be some beauty in other religions, they are not the same. They fall short. So when someone says it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, an objective person has to hear that and say, first of all, God never said that. And secondly, I don't think this sounds right. It sounds kind of ridiculous, and yet it's also tempting to adopt that thought process because it takes the pressure off. What we want to do today, no matter what you believe, whether you've decided to follow Jesus or whether you haven't made that decision yet or whether you have no plans to make that decision What I want each and every one of us to do today is simply to consider that which sets Christianity apart, and that's to consider Jesus. He's the biggest difference, and so we need to consider Jesus. And I say that way way because it's not about considering our church. We don't need to consider new life. I would never ask you to to consider a denomination or a non-denomination, if you will. I'm not even really asking you to consider Christianity necessarily because in truth, Jesus didn't come to start an organized religion. I'm also not going to ask you to consider the behavior of those that would call themselves Christians because that, the truth is, we're not always great representatives of, of Jesus. It's entirely possible to know two different people who would call themselves Christians, one that makes you want to follow Jesus and one that makes you want to run away from him. So I wouldn't ask you to consider those who would call themselves Christians. I'm also not asking you to consider me or what I have to say because I'm extremely flawed. But I know a guy named Jesus who we all need to consider really on a, on a daily basis. And I believe that if people consider Jesus then get to know him a little bit, then, then they can decide what they think and what they believe. And so if you're going to set all that other stuff aside, and I understand that that's hard, because if you go and you try to invite somebody to church because you want them to come to know Jesus, they will consider the church, and they will consider all these different things. And, and, and sometimes the truth is we get in the way of what Jesus wants to say to these people. We are flawed, and we stand in the middle, and we, we get in the way sometimes. And so that's tough, but, but there are two, if we can strip everything else away, two things that we have to consider when we look at Jesus. The first one is this. We need to consider the ministry of Jesus. The reason that he came to earth. The reason that he did. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 16, says this. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him, this being Jesus, eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. You see, while Jesus was here on earth, he spent a significant chunk of his time with people that the religious leaders, that the religious elite of the day, 
considered too filthy, too full of sin to even be in the same place with. And so here they question it. They say, why in the world does this Jesus that you follow, why is he always eating with these people? Jesus says, exactly. They are filthy. They are full of sin. I'm the doctor they need. Jesus came for sinners. No one is too sinful. No one is righteous enough on their own. And those two those two extremes are things that people still struggle with today. You will meet people in your life who think that they are too sinful for Jesus, that they're too far gone, and you'll probably meet some people who think they have it all together on their own. And so not only did Jesus come for sinners, but he came for all because we are all sinners, which means he came for people like you and I who just can't seem to get it right. Think about it this way. To those whom other people rejected, the scum, as they, as they put it. Jesus showed love and himself was accepted. To those that religion rejected, Jesus showed love and reached out to them. He really went counter to what culture would have said to do. When, when, a, when a woman was caught in adultery and all the religious people said, stone her, the law says she deserves death. And that is what the law said because she was literally caught In the act of adultery, this is what happened in John chapter 8, verse 7. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then when no one threw a stone, he looked at the woman, obviously broken in this moment, and told her to go on her way and sin no more, that she was forgiven and had a new start. He went counter to culture. And stood in the face of what what religion at the time would have said is the thing to do. He made a new plan. He put a new system in place. And so we have to consider the ministry of Jesus and who he was and what he did. Because he, he took people who had never seen before who were blind from birth and he gave them sight. And I, I've, I've, never, I've never been blind. I can't see very well without my glasses, but I have the gift of sight. And I take it for granted. And I've always thought, imagine that first moment when Jesus gives the man that had been blind from birth sight. I can just imagine it had to be overwhelming. But so beautiful at the same time. He healed deaf ears. Imagine hearing the voice of a loved one or hearing your own voice, really, for the first time. He gave a voice to the mute. He touched lepers. That one, this one is crazy. There were these people that had this skin disease called leprosy. That it was so bad that, that cultural rule dictated that if they were walking into an area where people were, they had to announce themselves with the horribly embarrassing words, unclean, unclean. Just to warn people that they were coming. And Jesus went to those kinds of people and he touched them and he changed their lives. He healed them. He took took bread and fish that was meant for a a little boy's lunch and he managed to feed over 5,000 people with it. He walked on water. He, He raised his friend Lazarus from the dead multiple days after he'd been buried. And here's the crazy part. If if miracles aren't crazy enough, and they are pretty crazy, some of the things that Jesus did, most of Jesus' critics didn't doubt his miracles. 
They just wanted him to stop. They saw actual miracles. They saw Jesus do these things and wanted him to stop because it made them as religious leaders look bad. It made them look bad. It upset the norm. It messed with their version of religion. That's why when Jesus healed someone on the Sabbath day, the day of rest, instead of celebrating the healing, the religious leaders said, well, you can't do that. It's a day of rest. And they made a deal out of it when Jesus had healed someone. It messed with their version of religion. And you have to consider the ministry of Jesus and consider that down through history on some level, the fact that you are even here this morning is a result of the ministry of Jesus. Some of us, maybe all of us that have, that have come to follow Jesus are in fact miracles of Jesus because who knows where we'd be without him. The truth is, when you truly become a follower of Jesus, you don't become a better version of the old you. We become new people, different people. Scripture tells us that the old has gone the new has come. When we trace that back, we need to consider the ministry of Jesus and what it means for us today. And then the second thing, and the more important thing, we need to consider the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, in considering the resurrection of Jesus, what we really need to understand is that, is that God loves you and I, but he hates sin. We talked a lot about this um, last week. But God hates sin, and that's why he sent Jesus. That's why Jesus lived on this earth without sin himself. It's why he could then go to the cross to become sin for us. It's why he could take our sins with him. And it's why he could be the sacrifice in our place. And with next Sunday being Easter Sunday, you can bet we'll be talking about the crucifixion and the resurrection. But even here, consider some of the last words of Jesus on earth before he died. Luke chapter 23. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Even as he was tortured and beaten and hung on a cross, Jesus' response was to seek forgiveness from God on behalf of those who were killing him. Consider that. Most of us wouldn't be like that. We'd be praying for God to strike dead the person who was hurting us. When Jesus breathed his last and the earth went dark and trembled. This is what we read in Matthew chapter 27. The Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened. And they said this man truly was the Son of God. They believed. Three days later, the tomb that they had placed him in was empty, not because somebody stole the body, although there were people that tried to claim that, And not because it was never there, there are people that tried to claim that too, but because Jesus overcame death and rose from that dead and walked out of that grave on his own. Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, maybe his closest friend, who himself had denied Jesus three times as his crucifixion was underway. Peter had these moments where I don't know if he doubted as much as he was more concerned about self-preservation. And these three times somebody said, hey, weren't you one of Jesus' friends? And Peter said, oh, no, that wasn't me. You've got the wrong guy. Peter, who fell hard 
with those three denials, would eventually come to say this to the people in Acts chapter 3, verse 15. He said, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this fact. Peter, who, who in, in, the, in the name of self-preservation denied Jesus three times, then stood in front of the same people that killed Jesus and said, you, you killed him. But God raised him and we've seen him. This is so important because there were eyewitnesses that he was dead and then he was alive again. People saw him. Skeptics and critics will say the body was stolen. Listen, the enemies of Jesus would have loved to produce a body to prove that he was still dead. If they could have produced a dead body to say, oh, he's still dead, we've got him. And then other people will say, well, then it was the disciples that stole the body and hid it somewhere. Okay, but I doubt that they overpowered the soldiers sent to guard the tomb to prevent such a thing from happening. And then once they overpowered the soldiers, had the strength to move that stone. And not only did they pull this off physically, but then they kept it quiet. That's why I have trouble believing conspiracies, because people don't keep secrets very well. And then these disciples, on top of that, they went to their graves with this secret, and trust me when I say that they didn't die of natural causes. The disciples died because they clung to the belief and professed the belief that Jesus, in fact, rose from the grave because they saw him, and they held to that even if it meant that would be what had them killed? Would they give up their lives for a cover-up? Or would they give up their lives because of what they actually saw and experienced? And only one of them, as Scripture records, had some doubt, and his name was Thomas. And he wasn't there when Jesus appeared to his disciples, so I don't really blame Thomas. I think he gets a bad rap. But then he does see Jesus, and he does believe, and he would eventually die for his faith as well. Again, please don't consider Christians because we're not perfect. Don't consider me because I'm definitely not perfect. Don't consider the church because it's super flawed on its best days. Don't consider any of that, but, but please consider Jesus with me. Consider his ministry. Consider that he came for sinners and we, in fact, are all sinners. Consider that those sinners are who he died for and consider that he didn't stay dead. Consider that people saw him die and people saw him alive again and consider that a significant portion of those people were willing to die rather than recant their public statement of belief that Jesus died and rose again. And really consider the eternal message of Jesus summed up extremely well by Paul in Romans 3.22. Paul, who himself hated Christians back when his name was still Saul, his entire goal was to extinguish Christianity from the face of the earth, one Christian at a time. Before he came to believe himself that Jesus died and rose again, he, he said these words. He said, we are made right with God by facing our, placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Again, we're not made right with God by placing our faith in a religion or a church or a pastor or anything of this world. We're made right by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Believing the same thing that those disciples believed, who saw him dead and then saw him alive again. 
Consider Jesus apart from all we've done to screw this up. He still died on a cross for you and for me. And death didn't have that kind of power over him. The grave couldn't hold him in, and he rose from the grave very much alive. You know, Jesus didn't come to start a church or a religion. He didn't come to give us a checklist of things to do to get to heaven. He came to show us the love of God. And while religion is about me, relationships are about Jesus. It's all about him. Religion says if I'm good enough, God will love me, accept me, let me into heaven. If I obey, God will accept me. Relationship says because God loves me, he accepts me. Because he accepts me, I choose to obey. And I obey not to gain his love, but because it's a response to his love that was there all along. God doesn't love you because of who you are. He loves you because of who he is. He is love. And there is nothing you can do to make him love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make him love you next, which again, we talked about the the draw of some of those religions was taking the pressure off, but if that idea doesn't take the pressure off a little bit, I don't know what would it, because he already expressed the ultimate measure of his love through Jesus on the cross. And as we celebrate Easter together next Sunday, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about. But for today, consider Jesus. And if you truly consider Jesus, just Jesus, get the rest of it out of the way, just Jesus, I hope you'll want to follow him if you haven't already and follow him even more closely if you are. Let's pray. God, we sometimes get in the way of the message of who Jesus was and what he did for us. We can get caught up in the details and distracted by the story, but the truth is, we who are sinners could never pay our own debt. We could never pay for our own sins. It simply wasn't possible, and yet you made a way through Jesus. That's it. And in light of that, when we come to believe that Jesus is Christ and we follow him in baptism, we let him lead us in our life. That's the goal. But God, if there's anything standing between us and belief in that, that Jesus died for us. Help us to move that out of the way so that we can follow him. God, as we move into this time of communion, as we remember that sacrifice, help us to focus on what it truly means for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.